Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. Took our son's uh, blood sugar level at various times during the day and then adjusted the diet to make it stable across the day. And what I mean by stable is stable amount of weight, weight and ratio of grams of um, fat, uh, protein, and carbohydrate for every meal, but then also um, uh, making sure that his blood sugar level therefore is stable across the day. And as soon as we did that, seizures stopped. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast. The show about food, lifestyle, medicine, and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best life. A slightly different podcast episode for part two of the keto series today. I really want to give an authentic human experience of what effect the ketogenic diet could have in certain circumstances. And today we're talking about Alex Ash's experience. He's a colleague of one of my best friends in America who initially reached out to me a while ago wanting to share his personal experience with the use of ketogenic diets for his son's medical condition. Leno-Gastaut syndrome is a severe form of childhood epilepsy with multiple types of seizures, as you'll hear. And Alex and his partner's experience has not been a straightforward one in the slightest. And for any of you listening with children or with or without chronic condition, I just want to say from the outset that this episode could be quite triggering. So I'd definitely exercise some caution if you do not want to listen. Alex's story has a positive ending, but I understand that this is not the case for a lot of people struggling with epilepsy or many other conditions. And as a medical doctor, I merely witness the daily battle that many parents and carers have to endure for the sake of their loved ones. As always, none of this information spoken about today uh, is to be taken as medical advice. Always speak to your practitioner and 
changes to medication, dietary or supplement regimes do need to be discussed with them. And there are a few explanations for how the ketogenic may yield an effect that were offered by Alex that are not technically accurate, but for the purposes of this special podcast, I've chosen to completely unedit our conversation and just leave it in its most raw form because I really want you to experience Alex's raw passion for this and if you're interested in the more nuanced opinion from a practitioner I would definitely listen to the previous episode with Sue Wood. I'm not going to say much more I hope you enjoy listening to Alex's story tell Jake's story I should say Um, it certainly hit home a lot of truth to me and um, I I think you're gonna you're gonna find it useful and uh, it will give you a a different perspective on lifestyle medicine and the grander mission of the doctor's kitchen as well enjoy alex uh thanks so much for joining me on the podcast uh it's a it's a pleasure to speak to you we have a mutual friend Nguyen, uh, also known as Nguyen because he rebranded himself when he went to America. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we, we were connected um, by, by one of my best friends and um, I, I, I heard about your story and I really wanted to, to share it on the podcast. So thank you so much for, for jumping on. Thank you very much indeed for having me on, Rupi. It's great to be here. Yeah. So what, why don't we kick off by... Um, you perhaps introducing your, yourself, uh, your story, where you're living right now, and 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 why you moved from the states, and um, and we could just start off. Yeah, thank you. Happy to start there. So, yeah, I'm Alex. Um, recently returned to the UK last November after a number of years in uh, in the Bay Area, in uh, in the California, in California on the West Coast. I was living there um, with my wife and my two kids. Uh, We moved back, as I said, last November. Um, And ostensibly, the reason we moved home was because um, of the ill health of my youngest son. His name is Jaykin. He's now uh, four years old. And really, the story with Jaykin began uh, probably when he was about eight months old, and he started having... Um, these very uh, strange nighttime events, um, which uh, we we took him to a number of doctors for different opinions over in the states, and we were, you know, at very kind of world-renowned medical institutions like Stanford and, and um, UCSF Benioff. Um, but this was really strange. As I said, eight months old, started having what appeared to be some kind of parasomnia events, but continued. Um, and he would have atrocious sleep. Now, I know a lot of parents complain about lack of sleep, um, but I can tell you this was something else. I mean, he would be up screaming for most of the night, and obviously as a parent, you try and rack your brain, how, how you know, you kind of breastfeeding to, to, to sleep, that would work for five minutes. We tried everything, and mm. sleep doctors, different specialists, none of them could really determine what was wrong with him. We knew there was something wrong with him. Uh, meanwhile, actually, he was growing fine, uh, generally speaking. So he was, you know, his markers in terms of development, height, weight, cognitive, um, uh, motor skills were all seemingly kind of continuing on a, on a good trajectory. 
but we were falling apart. <laughs> I was trying to hold down a, uh, a quite high pressure job uh, as, a, as a management consultant. Uh, my wife couldn't work because she was just so consumed by, by our by our youngest son and obviously our oldest son was kind of losing out uh, because we were so focused on the health issues. And that really lasted, believe it or not, this kind of cadence lasted for three years or so, just a bit, bit less than three years. And uh, April 2018, things took a really uh, a horrible turn for the worse where he had his first kind of known seizure. Um, and this was a kind of um, drop seizure. Mm. So he was just, Paint, it was about, I think, 10.30 in the morning. He was painting or something like that, some activity at his little table, and he just fell off and smacked his head on the floor. And, he, and you know, I was traveling for work at the time, so uh, it was a really awful uh, situation. And I uh, flew back as quickly as I could to, um, to, to help. Um, but essentially, you know, they, they did an ECG and well, – not an ECG <laughs> – I've completely forgotten my. It's been so long since I've uh, I've been in a in a neurologist clinic. I've forgotten yeah. my terminology for brain scans. But anyway, he had a, he actually had a um, uh, he actually had a, a CT scan because he had a really bad bump on his head, and they did all the um, all the tests and you know confirmed that he'd had a, a seizure. Um, now the way that they work in the states is they don't diagnose epilepsy until they see. I think it's three examples of seizures, at which point they'll, they'll say, okay, we have to do something. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, he then had several months later, he had um, two further incidences, very, very similar. One, pretty much exactly the same type of scenario in the morning, similar time, drop seizure. The other one was a sort of halfway type seizure in a shop where he just fell over. He didn't trip or anything like that. Um, but again, we were able to confirm that that was uh, a kind of seizure. So this was like, um, uh, we, we uh, suspect he was having seizures before this in the nighttime events, some kind of focal mm. seizure. Um, then obviously this was a new type of seizure that was, that was manifesting. Alex, just before we can, we, we carry on, cause I know you've probably regaled the story in, in your head a whole bunch of times, but after the first seizure where there was an EEG and there was a CT head to make sure that there wasn't any um, any any traumatic damage or intracranial issue when you were discharged from the hospital what was the explanation and, and what was sort of what were the next steps given to you yeah so we were the next steps were okay um, obviously this is very concerning for you um, but Kids can have seizures for a lot of different reasons. It could have been because he had a fever, fever-induced seizure. Uh, could be a lot of reasons. Um, but we, like I said to you, their kind of metric um, for mm. taking this more seriously is when two or three happen uh, within a, a relatively short time frame. Um, we did get a referral to um, a, a neurologist, um, and we did follow up. Um, but it was a similar, it was a, it was a similar message. Let's, mm. let's keep an eye on it and let's see what happens moving forwards. Mm. Um, now we'll get into shortly when I start to explain how things really ramped up in a, in a terrible way in 20, uh, 2019 and certainly 20, uh, sorry, uh, late 2018 and 2019. Um, 
how things could have been done differently in my view especially as it relates to diet and dietary intervention earlier mm. um we'll come to that shortly but if, if i'll just tell you that you kind of continue the arc of the story uh so through to so, so fast forward to the end of um 2018 where we had three known events and the neurologist at the time we were seeing um at uh, stanford um she she basically said look we've had these events now it's time to put him on medication and she prescribed a drug called oxcarbazepine um which uh, for those who, who don't know it is a pretty hardcore uh drug um for anyone to be on let alone uh, a young child obviously they 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 the dose is set accordingly, but it's still a hardcore medication. Um, <clears throat> so we we uh, we we were in a, a a real state by this point because we were so tired. All all the stuff that had been going on at night times was still going on, and obviously just anxiety and all those things. So so we kind of kick ourselves for not pushing back a little bit more strongly at this point. But it is what it is. Mm. He was placed on this drug, and what we saw was. Uh, quite quickly, his behavior deteriorated. And what do I mean by that? I mean, his irritability, like high, very heightened irritability. I mean, he was already sleep deprived, right? So that doesn't help things. Yeah. But, uh, but the drug is clearly enough to our mind, uh, correlation between him titrating on the drug and then getting very irritable um, over these events um, like in the middle of the morning, always 1130, uh, where he would go kind of crazy. Um, but, and generally speaking, he was very tired, very irritable, quite aggressive as well towards his brother, which is not really a trait in his character and never has been. So we were really concerned, but the neurologist said, Hey, look, just persist and you'll, you'll get through it. So, you know, of course you listen to the expert, right? The so-called expert. So, so we carried on, we persisted, and then pro- things somewhat stabilized. And I don't know whether that's just us normalizing to what we were seeing every day as opposed to him actually becoming more stable. So then we move into 20, so that's the start of 20, 2019, and now we move into uh, June 2020. So June 2020 uh, was a really, really bad turning point for us. Uh, Jakin, um started to develop a new type of seizure, myoclonic seizure. Uh, And my wife, who is um, a a neuroscience uh, researcher, as it happens, she picked up on this really quickly. um, And... How do you, your wife's a neuroscience researcher? I left that bit out, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that was quite a big part of the story. I had no idea. I thought she was perhaps in the similar profession to you. So, So she's a neuroscience researcher. And, and 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 now I need to go back a little bit more. What what was sort of her experience throughout the point up until now? Because obviously she knows a lot of the stuff. She probably did a lot of research herself, and she can understand perhaps the rationale for the anti-epileptic medications. Did she have any particular fears at, at this up until this point? Absolutely, absolutely, uh, a lot of concerns and. Uh, again, this comes back to we beat ourselves up a bit about this because we were in, we were in. Uh, this is kind of like years of buildup of the problems with our son, going from pillar to post with different 
doctors mm. not getting to the root of it, um, being very, very sleep deprived, um, just tired, uh, not really being as rigorous as we would ordinarily be in terms of questioning things and, and pushing back on the doctors. Uh, now we look back and we go, God, why didn't we do more? And, you know, my, the, the, the thing is when we eventually got our act together in, in 2020, um, like we were super on it and my wife was, she has access to all the literature and it got to the point, and well, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but where we were actually bringing medical literature to the doctors, to the so-called experts and saying, hey guys, you said, you pushed back on us and said, this is not the case. We've got the medical literature. We've reached out to the researchers in France, for instance, where we were one study that we paid very close attention to. And there's actually a study on oxcarbazepine um, that clearly showed uh, <clears throat> that there's a big issue with kids going on oxcarbazepine and seeing behavioral changes. And where you see those behavioral changes, the, the, the type that we were reporting very actively to our neurologist, you really need to wean the child off the drug because it, it's a short step to a, a, a much worse situation, which is exactly the path that we went down. Mm. Um, and so, uh, but anyhow, I mean, so yeah, we, we, were, we were lucky in that my wife's very, very well, I and mean, she's done a lot of uh, research around Alzheimer's and the role of diet in Alzheimer's and, and carbs and sugar and, and all of that stuff. Um, so she, yeah, absolutely, she, you know, she has access to literature. So we were, uh, I don't know, pretty, fairly well educated. But even, even then, and you know, we, I explained all the situation with our fatigue and stuff like that you're dealing with a medical establishment, which uh, I've lost a lot, <laughs> sorry to say this because I know you're a doctor, but I've lost a lot of respect for because this wasn't just one doctor. We went to four different neurologists to try and, and, and get uh, better advice. Um, uh, and, um, you know, like I said, these are world renowned institutions um, and we, we really struggled, but you're, you're dealing with people who, again, sorry to generalize here, but they supposedly know a lot more than you. <clears throat> and therefore, they, any kind of questioning is not taken very well. So you, you, there's that kind of, we had this tension repeatedly with, with the doctors. And, and actually, I'll just kind of fast forward the story a little bit to give you some more examples. So Onset of myoclonic seizures in June, um, horrendous uh, EEG that just could not believe what we were seeing. Um, they were moving towards a diagnosis of, of LGS, uh, Lennox Gusto, which is probably the worst possible diagnosis you can get uh, from a, unless you're born with Dravet or something like that, uh, LGS is pretty much the, the worst um, syndrome epilepsy syndrome you could you could uh um get and so that obviously sent us into a, a tailspin uh and then we went through so the june july august period of 2019 uh were just unbelievable for us so many ambulance trips to the emergency room uh jakin had a new type of seizure um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the uh, uh, tonic conic seizures started to develop. Now, what we noticed was that the, 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 the doctor started chopping and changing 
medication. So the oxcarbazepine. Oh. Alex, just before you go into that, just for the listeners, uh, I just want to make sure that we're all up to date with the types of seizure because it sounds like uh, Jacob was having a variety of different types of seizures. And you, you mentioned a couple, um, myoclonic seizures and the tonic-clonic seizures. Do you, do you want to just briefly describe what the my, myoclonic seizures looked like? <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So myoclonic seizures uh, are considered, they look quite innocuous, uh, if you you can easily miss them, uh, but actually they're considered one of the worst types of seizure, and not so. When you get to that point, things are really bad. So myoclonic seizure manifests as a sudden jerk movement. It can be um, your arms kind of go up by your side, your head can kind of drop forward, um, your shoulders can can move, and it's an involuntary movement because of the electrical. Uh, impulses going on inside your inside your brain um, so you can uh, quite easily miss them now what comes along with them like you think oh it's quickly passed but actually it's not the build-up to the seizure is horrendous like Jakin was just um, you know this irritability that I described and the mm. upset like like you just couldn't um, you couldn't calm him down you couldn't soothe him so that's the build-up then he you knew a seizure was coming and then the seizure would pass, and then the aftermath was like you know post ictal state where mm. they're completely out of it, and uh, and then eventually they, they kind of come around. Now imagine that happening to your kid, and in the morning uh, that would happen twenty times before he would get up out of bed. Wow! You'd take him to the bathroom another ten, go downstairs ten more. Mm. Right? We would. Uh, um, at times, we were up to 100 a day, um, myoclonic seizures. So that became like the most dominant seizure that we were seeing was these, this myoclonic seizure. Uh, and what, what the, um, with, this, with this manifesting, our neuro, neurologist told us to take out oxcarbazepine straight away because we presented this evidence to her. And she, was, she then uh, just said, right, we have to take it out straight away. And like, we were like, I can't believe we're giving you this. You didn't know this. And now you're telling us to take it out. Is it safe to take, take him off just like that? And of course it's not. Again, you read the literature. You can't just do a sudden immediate wean off oxcarbazepine. So anyway, so then it was on to our next drug. So the next neurologist that we went to see said, right, Keppra, try Keppra. Keppra is a very well-known um, anti-epileptic drug and for some people it works right or um but actually if you look at statistics for 30 percent of children these anti-epileptic drugs do not work that's a huge number 30 percent of all kids that are placed on anti-epileptic drugs the drugs don't work uh and uh if you fail one drug the likelihood of you failing another it increases exponentially so we went on to our, so they were like, okay, well, you need to try two drugs. So we've done the oxycarpazepine. Here's some Keppra. Keppra are somewhat psychotic. Um, and I don't use that word lightly. He was like a crazed animal. Uh, and it happened within a day of, it, of going on. Now, believe it or not, the doctor, the new doctor said, uh, we actually had to take him to the ER. We said, we can't control our son. We don't know what to do with him. He's just, and he was, the, all the nurses in the ER could see that how he was behaving. But, you know, they just thought that's, you know, actually the doctor came in and said, well, he could just be behaving, that just could be how he behaves normally. 
I'm like, uh, no, that's no, that's not how he behaves normally. Mm. It definitely isn't. Trust us. Mm. Anyhow, he suggested low dosing the Keppra. So we we stayed in we stayed in hospital, and they did this rapid uh, titration, um, and um, we were very nervous about doing that because of the effects that we'd seen. But this doctor was like, this is the only way to find out whether Keppra will work or not properly. So he did a huge load dose uh, in hospital. Um, and then they read the EEG and the EEG miraculously had calmed down. So this doctor was like, I told you so, right? Go home. So we went home and the day later he developed a new type of seizure, which was the tonic clonic. Now the tonic clonic seizure is probably the seizure that most people think of when they think of epilepsy because it's the most... Um, dramatic one right in terms of what the body movements do and so I was put, putting him down to, for his nap um, uh, at lunchtime and he literally his body just kind of lifted he was lying on my chest and when he started having it his body just lifted up off my chest and his eyes mm. rolled back in his head and it was just honestly the most frightening thing we'd ever seen and we had all our uh, emergency seizure medication to administer. You wait five minutes, you count, and then you administer it. And it, it, he was out for the count for, for, for over five minutes. So we administered the medication, and then we had to call an ambulance. We called an ambulance, and thank God we had uh, is an Australian ambulance driver in California, would you believe? And we told him our story and we said we didn't want to go back to the hospital where this doctor had plied our son with Keppra. And, it, and we were like, this stuff is, this is horrendous. So we ended up, he, he agreed to take us to a different hospital, which we were happy about. Um, so we ended up in UCSF in San Francisco, a um, bit more of a, uh, a, a sort of um, a team of neurologists who would listen to us a little bit more closely. Um, but it was there that they did more EEGs um, and there where they categorically diagnosed him as having LGS, Lennox Gusto, uh, which again, for those, I should have said earlier, uh, generally Lennox Gusto, the outcomes are, there's no good outcomes. Mm. Um, generally what you see is, is, a, um, is deterioration um, and um, some people, I don't know what the statistics are, it, a worrying amount of people end up as, you know, basically being handicapped in various ways and mm. not living, not living a particularly uh, content existence. And so we were staring down that barrel with that diagnosis, but at the same time, it just didn't feel right. Our son, notwithstanding all his issues that he had since he was a kid, up until even March of that year, he was a bright kid. He was above average in terms of the, the way he was talking, his, his, his vocabulary, mm. the way he was interacting. And that was the thing that always baffled the doctors. This, this kid was always hitting his markers, if not exceeding them. And this just really, and we'd seen this disin mental disintegration to, um, because what came with the seizures was uh, not just the actual seizures themselves and the behavior, but he just disintegrated men mentally and cognitively. And he was started to behave like an, um, a child on the autistic spectrum. And we were just going, how can this happen so quickly? How in the space of a few months can we see this horrendous deterioration before our eyes? Something just doesn't add up, right? And 
So then what the doctors did at UCSF was they said, okay, we're going to stop Keppra. We're going to try another drug. So then they tried another drug, uh, a Japanese uh, pioneered anti-epileptic drug called zinisamide, which is another crazy mind-bending drug if you read about it. Uh, and so the doctor's like, I'm, I'm confident that we're going to see some improvements here. So he went on to zinisamide. Similar thing happened again, right, that we saw with the Keppra is this stepwise uh, as he, because you don't just go on to the full dose straight away, mm. you go on to it gradually over the course of a couple of weeks. But as he went up on his dose, there was a corresponding increase in the number, the frequency of seizures he was having. And we were just saying to the doctors, guys, these drugs are not working, mm. right? Everyone we're trying, whether it's making our, our child psychotic, it's all of them are increasing the seizure load. Mm. And they were like, no, no, you have to wait it out, you have to wait it out gave it a bit longer, nothing getting better. So you can imagine by this point, this is around about August 2019, that um, four neurologists we'd been through a diagnosis, the worst diagnosis possible of LGS, our son having 100 seizures a day. It was truly awful. So then the light, sorry, having painted all that, uh, <clears throat> that kind of horrendous picture, there's uh, a major, major... Uh, light at the end of the tunnel um for, for, forgive me for for interrupting again um alex i i i just want to double click on what it was like for you as a family at that time because this is you know the summer of 2019 um you're on these different medications you've been taken off some put put on some titrated on some all that kind of stuff what was it like at home um, and, and forgive me for, for prying, you know, with, with your personal family life and stuff, and especially as you had another child as well. Uh, who, who's how old, sorry? Uh, two years older, so he's he's six at the time he was five when this was all kicking off. Yeah, I mean, look, it was brutal. It was the most challenging period of my life, uh, and I could not, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy to, to, to go through um, what we went through. Um, home was... Uh, just to give you a little window into it, it was just surviving. It was counting seizures. We were keeping uh, logs of of seizure counts when they were. Did they correspond to anything, any particular time of the day? Could we see patterns that, you know, maybe around uh, 11 o'clock when blood sugar levels were low or just after when blood sugar levels were Just all these things, we were trying mm. to see patterns. The only way we could do that was by gathering our own data. So, um, and we take breaks, you know, like my wife would supervise, then uh, swap over with me and we'd literally be logging down on our phone or on a piece of paper, seizure counts. It was horrendous. Um, and then at the end of the day, we'd just be like a debrief on how bad the day was. And this just went on and on and on and on. Wow. Uh, and And that really was our life. And we were struggling to uh, just about get our son, our older son, to school, uh, get him fed, bathed, um, clothed. We had so much incredible help from our support network. You know, even though we were a long way from our family, we had incredible uh, neighbors um, who, yeah, were just, um, you yeah, know, just went above and beyond and, and, and friends as well. I, I also forgot to mention, now that I mentioned neighbors, um, a really 
awful thing that happened. <laughs> Just when you think you can't, things can't get any worse. Um, on one one day, um, my son was um, my youngest son was playing with his o- older brother, and they they weren't playing very much at all because it would degenerate so quickly. But they happened to be playing, and my youngest son um, somehow uh, was running downstairs and had a seizure and fell through a glass door. Oh God! Um, so we ended up in hospital, um, and that was actually before we ended up in. Uh, in UCSF, so this is going back a bit, but this was, um, yeah, he ended up in hospital. He had, I can't remember how many stitches. Luckily, he missed a nerve. He had to have an operation to repair it. But you can, and and he has a bleeding disorder. <laughs> so oh, really, oh yeah, it's just, you could not, you could not like script a worse situation than what we were facing. It was, uh, it was the uh, the mind boggles. I was starting yeah. to. Yeah, go on. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I was just going to say like how how are you going to work and you know we worried about like the responsibility you had like dealing with you and and also just to add to the equation you know a lot of the listeners are from America the majority of listeners from the UK where we have an NHS healthcare system so you also had to contend with the fact that you're dealing with a private medical system um which is costing you every time you utilize it uh, I'm assuming right Especially for emergency room visits, it was uh, 200, $250 or $300 for each visit to the emergency oh, room in my word. June, June, July 2019. There were multiple trips. So, yeah, I mean, you know, from a work perspective, I was fortunate. The company I was working for at the time, Deloitte Consulting, were very, like, super, super understanding. They had a great parental leave program. I also had incredible bosses who went above and beyond in covering my back, <clears throat> even when um, when I was out of leave, they were just incredible. So um, from that perspective, I, I didn't have to worry about work. Um, I wasn't doing any, that's for sure, for six, nine months. Um, uh, but I had my back covered by them. From an a insurance perspective, I was lucky that we had good insurance, so it allowed us to get access to supposedly leading neurologists in the Bay Area. So that was le- less uh, less of an issue than it could have been. I mean, it, you know, really, if you have um, if you have poor insurance, medical insurance in the U.S., it's the worst. Um, you really are in a very difficult situation. We were lucky; we had good insurance. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, um, so, so I guess coming back to, this, to how the story unfolded, um, we, so we, we uh, having, having failed four drugs and I missed out a drug, it's actually the one he's still on, uh, would you believe, um, which in the, the States, drug? We, in the States they call it on fee. Um, oh. yeah, it's a, a benzodiazepine drug. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so benzo so uh, for those of you who don't know uh, benzo drugs are highly addictive um, uh, take a long time to come off as we're finding the withdrawal symptoms are off the charts can be so very nasty things um, again cri- going to cri- criticize the, the doctors because uh, they were just shoving drugs at us uh, not really um, providing full disclosure on what the pros and cons were. 
Um, so again, as I look back, I'm like, it makes me very angry. I can understand. Yeah, I, I can totally understand and I can feel the anger for sure because of the poor experience. And especially, I mean, like, there's so many poor elements of the story, but, you know, the seizure leading to harm that could have been a lot more serious than a few stitches on the arm uh, and and nerve damage um you know i i i can't imagine the uh the, the feelings towards the establishment and the frustration as well of just not knowing what was going on considering he was developing normally up until earlier that year i mean yeah that that was the uh the, the hardest thing is to see your, your son disintegrate so quickly like that and just feeling so powerless. Um, uh, it, uh, it's indescribable, to be honest. Uh, the, <clears throat> I think we hit rock bottom um, when we were in hospital in August uh, after an emergency trip and that kind Australian ambulance driver drove us to a different hospital. And, uh, and whilst in that hospital, um, my son had more tonic-clonic episodes. Um, he was, as I say, given given these new drugs. And uh, anyway, at this point, we thought enough's enough. Um, we've been reading about keto diet, ketogenic diet. Um, we were pleading with the doctors just because the way it's done there, as it is here, for medical ketogenic diet as opposed to the one that people do uh, themselves for uh, not for medical reason in other words it, it needs to be done under supervision uh, of a dietitian um, hospital dietitian uh, however we <clears throat> we were doing all the reading on it and we felt like this was our best chance and we we started ahead of being because it was a lead time to get us on to the official start uh, like being you, you go what happens is at least in the u.s the kid goes into the hospital they stay there for four days and they're induced into ketosis we were like there's no way we're waiting for that we're doing it ourselves mm. and despite the advice but this was the start of the period where we just were when we started contravening all the advice from the doctors and doing our own thing <laughs> which i wouldn't necessarily recommend for everyone but it's what we did um because of our experience and <clears throat> at the same time i was introduced to a fantastic wonderful man who i'll plug um on the on this uh, podcast um by the name of raj bashu um of uh, his his organization is called sci nutrition based in uh, northwest london um near near ricelip in ickenham uh, and I was introduced, so we were still in the States at the time. I was introduced to this man and, uh, uh, and it just, things really turned and changed for the better with the advice that we got from him. So we started, um, changing our son's diet <clears throat> in a number of ways. One of the things we did, and this message, uh, I haven't shared very widely with many people. We are in a network ourselves of kid of families kids who have who are on ketogenic diet for control of epilepsy um, many of these kids are having incredible results just through the ketogenic diet we found that through the ketogenic diet we had great results but we added in a few different extra things that i want to mention as well mm -hmm. so the first thing we did in changing our son's diet 
um, working with <clears throat> this gentleman, Raj, is he, uh, he asked to see his daily diet. And so we presented his diet, which outwardly seems quite, seem, would seem quite help, healthy to most parents, most people. You know, plenty of vegetables, uh, plenty of fruits, uh, not too much rubbish, you know, occasional treats, but generally, you know, a decent diet, you would think. Um, what we learned was that um, in people with epilepsy, a lot of them have a tendency towards having an alkaline pH level in their body. And so that a lot of the foods that they're eating uh, are uh, actually exacerbating that, making them more alkaline. And the whole point of keto diet is to acidify the body. So when you, when you go into ketosis, you're acidifying the body, making it more acidic. Um, the actual uh, thing to watch out for is that you get overly ketotic which means, and you can go to, into ketoacidosis, so your body's too acidic. So then you have to move it back. That's actually very dangerous to be in ketoacidosis. However, what we learned was that there are ways above and beyond the keto diet that you can shift your body towards being more acidic. And so taking out watery uh, fruits and vegetables is really important. So all the berries, the apples, the cucumbers, tomatoes that my son used to consume by the hatful, right? We, little did we know we were actually doing so much harm to him. So we took out all of these things. And to this day, he, the only fruit that he has um, is a, a small amount of banana. And obviously that has to be in the right ratios because of the, the, the diet that he's on. But the, that was the first thing we did. We took out all of those things, those fleshy, watery fruits and vegetables. And we started to see a positive effect. Then we start, then at the same time, we were uh, with the basic premise of the ketogenic diet is you're lowering carbohydrates and you're making the brain burn fat as its fuel. So where did fat come from? Obviously things like cheese and cream, but you don't want to have too much of that because of your cholesterol, but cholesterol is another story. Um, and, um, but you know, you, you know, nuts and oils, olive oils, uh, MCT, um, medium chain triglyceride, MCT oil from coconuts and palms. So lo lots of oils, basically upping the fat content, lowering, lowering the carbohydrate content. So we're in a medical keto context, this meant that we, were, we placed our son on what's called a two and a half to one ratio. That means uh, two and a half parts fat, to one combined part of protein and carbohydrate, but much more pro within that one, it's much more protein than carbohydrate. So really massive increase in fat, massive de decrease in carbohydrate, change the way, changes the way that your body gets its fuel through fat. And I can't, honestly, we, we, we got him into to ketosis before we were technically in, um, uh, admitted for the formal um, kind of induction into ketosis. So by the time we got to hospital, the dietitian was like, wow, you guys have done a tremendous job. He's in a really good level of ketosis. By this point, so this was like two weeks after we'd started, uh, his seizure count had dropped massively. So we were seeing like before our eyes, this incredible change and starting to see it impact his behavior and see him bounce back. Uh, in terms of his personality, and this was incredible to see. And then once you're in hospital, the next crucial bit here around 
um, ke uh, ketogenic diet is your blood sugar level. So the doctors, the dietitian rather, um, did a pinprick test, took our son's uh, blood sugar level at various times during the day, and then adjusted the diet to make it stable across the day. And what I mean by stable is stable amount of weight, weight and ratio of grams of um, fat, uh, protein, and carbohydrate for every meal, but then also um, uh, making sure that his blood sugar level therefore is stable across the day. And as soon as we did that, the seizures stopped. And we haven't had a seizure since then. So that was, sep that was September, uh, September last year. So it's 12 months. We had our 12 month anniversary. Uh, and he has been, so you can, like, it's just mind blowing. It really is. Like I'll sit here and tell you, and I still can't believe it. We went from the utter depths of despair to this miracle happening. And now I'm like this massive evangelist for diet. I mean, I was always kind of, you know, saw the merit of having a good diet and being central to health, but you cannot believe how evangelical I am about diet because you just see this before your eyes. It's mind blowing, right? To go from having such a sick child, degenerate, degenerating in every conceivable way to it all stopping and then uh, his brain, it takes time for the brain to repair. So it wasn't like he was suddenly right back mm. uh, to, it's taken a long time to recover. And so it's his recovery physically and mentally, but also from our perspective as parents to feel safe that as time passes to feel like this is not going to occur again and that we are safe and that our son is back. And not only is he back, he's like, he's, he's just like it's mind blowing to see how he's developing his everything that he's doing. Like he's, you know, surpassing all our expectations. Uh, and <clears throat> we've obviously maintained the diet uh, and we will maintain the diet. I mean, usually rule of thumb is at least for children, um, two years on the diet. So two years seizure free mm -hmm. on the diet. Um, in actual fact, then we are, we're under supervision of a dietitian neurologist at the Avelina Hospital in London. And they sort of said to us, well, he's doing so well, we might want to think about taking him off or, or weaning him off uh, next year. We're like, you know what, I think we'll, uh, we'll, think we'll kind of stick to it for, for a while longer because, um, you know, we just think, and, and also as a family, we, we felt safe. We've gravitated towards the diet and we're all eating low carb, mm. high fat diet now, lots of vegetables. So I just want to make that clear. For any parents who, are, who have to contemplate ketogenic diet for their children, there's plenty of room for veg, right? You know, less of the carby veg, like your potatoes, uh, but even then you can still have that in, in, in the right amounts. Um, but there's plenty of room for veg in a nutrition, nutritionally balanced diet. Uh, there's plenty of protein for your child to grow. Um, and, you know, it's incredible, like, uh, my son and my oldest son, they know all about sugar and carbohydrates. We talk about it the whole time. They, they, what they know is just beyond their years about diet. It's incredible. Um, but, you know, all this stuff that's now coming out, I'm reading a book at the moment you may have heard of called Grain Brain by uh, Dr. David yeah. Perlmutter. Yeah, I know David. Okay, you know, so he's got a new edition out. 
Um, and it's all in there. I mean, like he gets his people, I think, criticize him, <laughs> shall we say. I think he acknowledges that. But it's all in there, like the the carbs and sugars, uh, gluten. Um, this is stuff that's being linked to not just epilepsy, it's to everything, uh, it, you know, cancers, um, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, all pretty much all brain conditions you can think of. Um, you know, it's all connected to diet. And I think, like, like I said, I'm a missionary uh, uh, about this, but, um, you know, we've seen it before our eyes and our life now, I mean, like, uh, just bringing it back to everyday life, it's just, it's pretty normal. We've normalized. Yeah, we have to for a lot. I think a lot of families, the challenge with this, this diet is, uh, is, is the um, in, uh, sort of normalizing how to do it. Right. When you see the results that we've seen, um, that's the payback. Right. And if you people, um, I don't want to overly generalize, but there's a lot of cases where ketogenic diet for epilepsy doesn't work. But actually, when you dig into the data, quite a lot of it is because, unfortunately, people can't keep it up. So one of the reasons why ketogenic diet isn't used as much for, for adults with epilepsy, even though the results in the literature, the research has shown to also be highly effective, um, uh, is because people struggle to keep it up. It's like they'll cheat, they'll go, oh, I really want to have a croissant or a whatever it may be. You can't cheat, you cannot, you just got to stick to it and the results will come. But you get used to it. And when, as I say, when you see what the results in, in your, your child, that's the payback. And so we're completely used to it. Um, you know, weighing everything out every morning, like little scales, weighing everything to, the, to two decimal places of a gram. Mm. Um, you know, we do all that, but that's a small, small price to pay. I can sense the passion from over here. I know you're 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 down in Hove and, and I'm in London, but I, I can certainly sense the the passion and the and it's understandable to be evangelical about this when you've seen this um impact on your most precious thing. Uh the most precious thing in your life. Um I just wanted to go back a little bit actually uh, and and just ask when the first time it was that you even considered a ketogenic diet as a potential treatment for um, what you were experiencing which was medication refractory epilepsy um, and, and and whether your partner uh, had a had a significant role in the in in the um, uh, adaptation of it in the implementation of the diet itself and and obviously that the research behind that because I'd be fascinating to know like whether this was discussed before medications were weaned off and, and you were almost given permission, quote unquote, by um, your medical practitioners. So that, this really gets to the heart of uh, if I was going to change, if I was going to, if I had the power to change the approach that doctors take today, this is really where I would uh, advocate most strongly because uh, it became an, it was started to uh, be floated as an option um when things had already got really bad in july we'd 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 um done our own reading and started to educate ourselves around it and we were reading great things and we were asking about it um the doctors in america at least 
they tend to say you need to fail two or three medications before that we'd consider you for keto now that this is exactly where in my view things should change right because i firmly believe that if we go back to all the way in 2018 when he started having these initial seizures uh three documented ones uh had the doc had we known and had we been advised about this then even the introduction of if not a medical ketogenic diet but a um some form of atkins diet or modified atkins diet where you're not measuring everything out necessarily but you're increasing the fats and you're lowering the carbohydrates i think that that should start to be uh woven into the advice that neurologists give to all their all their patients um, is that look right you should just start lowering your carbohydrates and increasing your fats right and i really wish that they would give that advice because i think a lot of the the pain that we will have gone through and the, and the difficulties could have been prevented um, and so i really think the dietary approach should be introduced much 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 sooner to a lot more people and i think that we could nip in the bud this horrendous disease um that's my personal feeling uh, my, my wife by the way uh i mean she's just been incredible i mean not just obviously bringing the neuroscience piece to the table which is incredible the access to the literature not just the access but actually understanding and challenging the doctors with it i mean you know clearly we were a even with those advantages, it's been so ch challenging for us. Mm. But just on the very, like the practical front, the, like the baking, I mean, my God, what she is able to bake in terms of keto cakes and bagels and all sorts of stuff, uh, it's, it's incredible. Um, so like, again, you think, oh, oh God, I'm going on this diet, it's highly restrictive. It, it really, it, it is, yeah, it is, but your the amount of good you're doing your body and there's so many so many great tasty things you can do on ketogenic diet i i i can definitely attest to that when i had um uh my registered dietitian colleague come in um for, for the podcast on the ketogenic diet the mechanisms and, and everything behind it um she brought along some keto bagels and i i was really skeptical and then i tried it and i was like wow <laughs> this is quite this is super interesting and the fact that it's got that ratio of protein carbs and fats i, I was really really impressed um I, I wanted to go uh back to uh, when you were induced on the ketogenic diet well you were you you'd been doing it prior to that anyway so you had a good ratio where you weren't dipping into ketoacidosis and you had nutritional ketosis which are two very different things um and i'm glad we can differentiate between those um when you notice the number of um, seizures going down, how many seizures a day uh, was Jacob suffering from at that point? Um, and, and what was that time period by which, you know, you started the diet along with the medication that he's currently on as well uh, to, to the point where you, you saw zero, um, zero seizure episodes? So in August, 2019, um, like the first day of changing his diet from that point. So with the taking out the fleshy fruits and veg and upping the fats um, loosely. Um, so from that point to actually being in hospital was about a two week period. Mm -hmm. During that period, we saw 
a big drop in seizures. Um, he was still having maybe 10 a day, something like that, but it was a big drop from 100. Um, so we knew, and the fact that it was being relatively well sustained over that two-week period, we knew something was changing, but we didn't want to get our hopes up, right? Because mm. hopes had been dashed quite a lot up until that point. So then two weeks later, we were in hospital, by which time, as I said, we were already in ketosis. And I remember clearly he was having seizures, but only going to sleep. So this is one of the things that, that for parents who have gone through this, um, quite often sleep and sleep and epilepsy go hand in hand and seizure activity tends to go up as you switch from awake into sleep. And so uh that was the kind of remnants we were seeing were more around sleep time rather than during the day i remember the first day in hospital he was having his nap and he had five seizures going off to sleep right but he hadn't had any before that during the day so there'd been a significant improvement uh and then from the point of view we thought we we're actually only in hospital for two days because his ketosis was so good and the blood sugar level was stabilized and i want to say that by the time we left hospital the day, day or two later, he completely stopped having all seizures. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. That's it's a dream scenario. And it doesn't, uh, the other thing really important to say to anyone who's in this situation is that you need to give it at least three months, the diet, right? Because not everyone, we were just incredibly fortunate to get these profoundly quick results. You read a lot of other people's experiences and it can take three months. You have three months of nothing, just the same or even getting worse. Mm. And then suddenly things start to improve. So you have to stick it out. Really important. What was the reaction of the, 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 prof, the, the health professionals when, when you were in hospital and having, a, a, having that miraculous um, transition? Uh, it's kind of weird um, because... Uh, we, uh, by this point, we didn't really want to talk to any neurologists and, uh, even <laughs> we like just things like we, we had to get a, a medical letter to transition back to the, the NHS. We needed to get like records and a letter, um, from the, from the neurologist in the States. And even in his letter, it was full of nonsense like stuff that he got wrong it was just wrong we had to get him to change it several times and even then we were like we just we'd had enough of neurologists basically and we really didn't want to deal with them we only cared about dealing with dietitians mm. so we tried to avoid avoid them when we did see them it was you know a bit like oh we're so happy they just basically said, we're so happy to see that your son is uh is feeling better well, there's none of this kind of it's very scant acknowledgement of the, the problem with the, with the medications that we were seeing. We had all the data that we think proved that and we were showing to them and they were just, you know, oh, it could be the me me medication or it could just be the, 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 the um, it's, or it's more likely to be the path of your son's epilepsy. And we were like, yeah, your son just doesn't suddenly become psychopathic and degenerate uh, in this way. For no, for no good reason. And the fact that we're showing you data around like increasing seizure frequency as the drugs increase and all this literature about refractory 
epilepsy, paradoxical seizures in kids. I mean, honestly, I could not be more frustrated with neurology. Uh, I mean, I just, if I never see a neurologist again, it will be too soon. The, 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 I mean, no, no, like, like I can understand the frustration massively. I mean, um, as someone who's been a patient myself, um, obviously it's completely different to when it's your most vulnerable and precious um, thing in, in the whole world, your, your, your child. But, you know, I understand that frustration with not understanding what's going on and then making changes and having to do the research myself and then making changes and then recovering and then having that sort of dismissal of what actually could be going on. And it's quite interesting, you know, uh, the excuse of it it being the natural path of your particular son's uh, epilepsy being an excuse because um, that's that's definitely that was definitely offered to me as well. Like you know, uh, sometimes heart conditions can go through a period of quiescence uh, was the term that I, I remember getting. Uh, yeah, and um, and and not to rag it on the the professional at all, but uh, you know we definitely suffer from cognitive dis- dissonance, which is where, you know, even if something is in plain sight because you're wedded to the establishment or you're wedded to your ideals of how things are, you are unable to see the woods from the trees. Uh, and when something is so painstakingly obvious that needs to be further investigated, and it might not be the, the case for everyone, it certainly needs to be acknowledged. And the fact that you, you struggle to even get acknowledgement with that, kind of impact you know that that that's um it's it's disheartening if i'm honest and it's it's heartbreaking to hear this story honestly it really is i i, I had no idea about the you know what we were saying before we start the podcast i had no idea of, of the journey that you've been on thus far um to, to get to this point and even the fact that you struggled to to get accurate reports from your neurologist as you transition to the NHS. What, what, what sparked the, de- the decision to come back to the UK? Um, was it because of your son's good or did you want to come back? For uh, no, we, 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 uh, we had no intention of, of moving back. We'd been in the, in the States for quite a long time, pretty well settled there. Um, we, we bought a house the year before, um, so there was nothing to suggest we were moving back. We just, it was one night uh, in the hospital, um, my son had had like eight tonic clonic seizures and, you know, it was just awful. And we just kind of, my wife and I were just like, you know what, I think we need to go back to the UK to be closer to family. Uh, and I think we're, I think this is when you start to think about, right, what are the signals you're getting, right? You try and sort of step back and go, okay, all these things are happening, right? you know what what changes do we need to make to our lives to 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 stabilize things and we just felt that one of the things that we we needed to do to help stabilize things was to be closer to a family network because honestly at the time we we thought that we were going to have a situation with us where our son was just going to degenerate and we'd need a lot of help to help manage that um and so, uh, but even as things had that, um, that sudden improvement with the, the, the diet, we felt it was still the right thing to do. Um, and, um, and then, as I said, we had this, we started over the phone consultations with this fantastic nutritionist, Raj, 
Um, and, you know, it just felt like there were, there were access. It sounds crazy because it's the Bay Area, right, in the U.S., where yeah. incredible medical institutions and conventional, not unconventional approaches to medicine as well that you can get access to. But we just felt like the signs were pointing towards us needing to come back. And so we did that. And, and it's absolutely been the right move. Um, we've, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he, obviously things have, could, have, could have turned out well in the States for us had we have stayed there. But I really feel like the, the support we've had from family here back in the UK has been fantastic, notwithstanding COVID, obviously. But, um, but also, uh, you know, again, having the, the uh, help from Raj and, uh, has just been incredible. We wouldn't have had that in the U.S., so I think we've been vindicated, really, um, in making that big, big transition back uh, to the UK. And 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 what's what's Jake in like now? Like, what, what's his life like? What's you know? How do you normalize the diet and stuff? I mean, you mentioned like your your wife's amazing abilities, not only as a uh, professional but also as as a baker as well uh, to to make food interesting and and delightful as it should be for kids. Um, but yeah, what, what, what does the day-to-day look like? Yeah, day-to-day, it, I mean, uh, again, notwithstanding the current environment, uh, which weirdly enough, uh, because we went through so much stuff personally as a family, um, we find the current situation easier to deal with. Um, and, and it's a weird, weird to say that, but it just is for us because we've just been through the mill, uh, um, you know, with our son's help. But He's fantastic now. I mean, it's just uh, everything is, you know, he's just blossomed so much. Um, he's, you know, he's playing football um, every week. Um, he's now at school. It, on the school front, he's actually, because he's, of the health issue he's had, he's never really been to school properly in the States. He, it was sporadic um, over here, uh, la- like the last academic year. Um, he didn't go so he's just really started for the first time at school he's going in, in the mornings and then we're going to start sending him full time um, because that's a big adjustment and and the thing is as well going back to the those bloody drugs um, one drug left the benzo but as I said earlier it takes a long time to wean off so we're we're, we're down like we've been weaning him off for 12 months uh, and we're right down to the very last uh, small bit um so hopefully that will be done with by the end of the year but you do still see his withdrawal symptoms have decreased a lot so it's much much better from a withdrawal perspective um but we we're still kind of taking it bit by bit on the school front because of the withdrawals and they're super understanding so all in all like it's just fantastic he's he's uh him and his brother are like uh as thick as thieves together very close um you know it's it's really great and it's just again think think back to where we've come from it's it's crazy um and everything you know um his path forward from here is very positive um you know the neurologists like to point out that there are other vulnerable ages for kids in their brain development uh especially like around uh pre pre puberty and then late um kind of late teens tend to be two vulnerable periods so, you know, we'll never, our guard will never be down. Mm. Um, but I think we'll keep, all of us will, will kind of gravitate towards the high fat, low carb diet and, and going forward. And so 
um, we're, we, we're pretty confident that he's going to be absolutely fine. Now, and what's the community been like? Because um, I'm sure, you know, you've engaged in forums, um, you've probably heavily involved in discussion groups and, and how you even found out about all these different issues in the first place. Uh, what, what is that What is that like? Is it is it inclusive? Can it be quite restrictive sometimes? Like, what's your experience been of it as a parent? No, no actually, the, 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 the most amount of help and empathy, but just a practical help and advice, comes from other families. Like again, the, the doctors are so far removed from the day-to-day experience of the drugs, the diet, they really don't know what's best. <laughs> you really, it's right, you know your kid best, and families who are going through the similar experience, that's who you learn most from. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tapped into those resources. Uh, in, uh, in the UK, um, there's something called uh, Matthew's Friends, which is an organization. There's the Daisy Garland. Um, and these charities do phenomenal work. You know, Daisy Garland trains dietitians for the NHS. Like the more of these keto specialized dietitians we can get out there, the better. Um, so these, char- these are the two charities are, are very helpful. They, they're very supportive. They'll give you as much or as little support as you like. They send you hampers with, uh, you know, uh, low carb, high fat food in with uten- kitchen utensils, which are very useful for keep like spatulas, little mini spatulas. They're the most useful kitchen implement you could ever, that you have to have rather if you're, um, if you've got a kid on this diet. Uh, so they do all of that. Um, and it, it's, it's really great. And then actually I'm not a big social media head myself, mm. but Instagram, Instagram parents, uh, uh, kids with, uh, on keto, the parents there, they post, um, stories, photos, uh, recipes, uh, mine of information and actually that's social media at its best i think yeah uh, uh, we found i agree you, you know social media is it's got a massive bad rap and you know with with reason as well like totally w- with what's happened over the last few years but um there are some positive elements of it and that's definitely one element i think i think we, we need to be better filters for social media you know in that context it's great you have a community that's supportive sharing recipes resources etc but you know, if you if you're if you're not careful, you know, all of a sudden you, you're being shown conspiracy theories and and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think I think it can be a force for good. And and I, I wonder, like uh, on on a day to day, do you check um, blood sugar levels and, and keto levels, or, or are you quite happy with the current combination of two point two point five to one? We used to uh, we used to do it every day, multiple times a day. The urine sticks. Um, but it was just like clockwork. He, we are, we were so lucky. Our son, uh, I mean, he's the the hero in all of this. He really is because he he adapted to the diet uh, really quickly. So again, I said earlier, families have difficulty um, with the regime, and a lot of that's to do with changing your kid's diet, getting them used to it. They push back. We were so lucky. Our son just accepted it more or less from day one. Uh, and then again, with his ketosis, um, it was just been super stable. So we would do this the whole time, especially in the early months. And then we have, we've not done it. For, we've not checked his levels through your, um, his, through, um, the, the, the urine sticks 
for, I don't know, since, the, since probably February time. He's had blood taken in, in the hospital because mm-hmm. the, they want to make doubly sure, but we're not concerned at all. He's so stable. That's yeah. immense. And we've, had no, we've had no ketoacidosis mm-hmm. issues or anything like that. So we're, again, lucky that we've not had that. He's just been super, super stable and super tolerant. And the other thing is, uh, the other incredible thing about him is uh, he knows he knows exactly what to do in, with, when his meal arrives. He's like, he doesn't complain. He eats it all. He knows he, he ha- you have to eat every morsel mm. on the plate, mm. every bit of MCT oil. You have to have every last drop, every bit of, um, he has like this, uh, we make him, his milk is actually uh, double cream mixed with water. Uh, every last drop spatula out at the end has to all go in. And yeah. he knows that and he does it. That, yeah, cause that, that's a, that's a, I'm really glad you, you brought that up because that is a huge, huge thing in all of this. People don't realize that it's not just a case of getting the right regime. It's actually implementing the regime. And when you're implementing anything with a child, I mean, I have patients, I work in pediatric A&E, I have patients who can't give their, uh, their antibiotics or their, their, you know, simple paracetamol to their kids because they will just refuse it. So introducing a diet that needs to be consumed every single day to the, the drop, that is a huge, huge barrier for a lot of people. It is. Yeah, and like I said, I think that's where uh, the people who unfortunately can't succeed with this diet, that's the main reason for it. Um, uh, and it's easy to say, oh, you just have to be persistent, but it's really tough. Um, and a lot of the families we're in touch with, you know, speak very eloquently about how difficult it's been to, to, to change their son's diet. Um, yeah, I mean, I, again, it just luck. We have, we have a child who has adapted so well to it. Um, uh, if it was, <laughs> trust me, if it was our older son, it would have been a completely different story, completely different story. So you're thankful for small mercies. Um, but yeah, he just, you know, he just knows, he tells us what to do. He'll go, you know, mama, dada, I need help with the spatula kind of thing. Like can't get the last drop out, help me kind of thing. He's pushing us to, to, to finish his food. So yeah, it's great. It's amazing. That's brilliant. Alex, I just wanted to say, um, I'm really thankful that you reached out and knew on, knew on. Uh, put us uh, put us in contact because um, I think sharing these kind of powerful stories are just like a reminder of just how impactful food can be and how important diet is and how important culinary medicine education is for all medical practitioners, um, not just doctors, but nurses and, and everyone who, who has any experience with patients. So um, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and what you guys have bravely fought through as well is just hopefully going to pave the way for a lot more families um so they don't have to have the same battles yeah absolutely and i appreciate you inviting me on and uh the talking about this obviously brings up a lot of emotions but I, it's kind of cathartic and also I, and I feel strongly that um you know if i can c- contribute in some small way to trying to change things a little bit or at least people can feel like there's a there's another good story out there and there's there's hope if they're in a situation like we've been in and then also just to uh, uh, thank you for your role that you're playing in also trying to shift the mindset of people around food and the importance of it to, um, to uh, health and well-being. Yeah, my pleasure, man.
I really hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, please do check out matthewsfriends.org. All the links to some of the things that we talked about on the podcast are going to be on the doctorskitchen.com forward slash podcast. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a comment, rate, review, and um, I will see you here next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.